Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. The book of Revelation opens with a bang, bombarding us with a flurry of words and visions and images that disorient and confuse us. And it does not relent over the course of the 22 action-packed chapters that follow. Revelation does not want to argue or convince us of anything. It is too late for that. The time is near. Behold, I am coming soon. Rather, the book seeks to capture our hearts, renew our love grown cold, strengthen us for resistance to the ungodly powers, and summon us to that patient endurance without which we have no hope of being saved. Like the Lord God himself, the book of Revelation seeks neither our assent or our approbation, but only our obedience. What is Revelation anyway? It is to begin with an apocalypse, or rather the apocalypse, its name in Greek and perhaps a better name, Revelation from Latin, Revelatio, sounds just a bit too intellectual and cognitive. Apocalypsis means a disclosure, an uncovering or unsealing of what is hidden, of heavenly mysteries, the mysteries of God. Events of this sort are a regular feature of Israel's scriptures, usually occurring at some critical juncture in the biblical story so Jacob falls asleep and dreams of a ladder reaching to heaven with the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. He awakens and exclaims, this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Centuries later, Ezekiel finds himself among the exiles by the river Kedar where he receives visions of God beginning with the divine chariot supported by the cherubim and their whirling many-eyed wheels. Just last night at our Eucharist, we heard Mark's account of Jesus' baptism when Jesus saw the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And in John's Gospel, Nathan expresses astonishment that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. And Jesus declares, you will see greater things than these. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Notice the important role that angels or angelic beings play in many of these stories. They are the indicators that something is going on beyond all earthly reckoning, that the world of ordinary experience is not all the world that there is, that our lives cannot be limited to the grim story of biological determinism and moral nihilism that is our culture's default narrative concerning human nature and destiny. When the heavens open, when God is revealed, earth itself and our very lives appear in an entirely different light. Nature is now shown to be creation. And when the creator has dealings with his creatures, anything can happen. This is very good news indeed. And here I might mention 
the hearing, hearing that reading from the first chapter of the apocalypse, can you hear the liturgical note in all of that? We are in a world of worship. We are in the world of the church, in the very presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a book to be so much read in the privacy of your study as to be experienced in the Christian assembly, in the flesh of the body of Christ where God apocalypses himself. Revelation is not simply an apocalypse, however, not even a Jewish or scriptural apocalypse, though it is those things. It is the apocalypse. Apocalypsis Iesu Christu, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Does that mean Jesus is the one who does the revealing? Or does it mean that Jesus is himself the substance and content of the revelation? Yes. It is both those things. God gives the revelation to Jesus, who gives it to an angel, who delivers it to John in a great chain of revelation. And John writes it on a scroll and shares it with the seven churches. Christ is the medium here, but he is also the message. He is the very word of God itself, a good Johannine theme, and we are told this quite explicitly in chapter 19 of the book. So here is a piece of counsel. Read the apocalypse as one long exercise in defamiliarization, forcing us to re-examine the Jesus we thought we knew. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is not only alive, he is the living one. He did battle with death, and death won, which is to say death lost. To be joined to him is to know and experience the very life that God is and that God wills for his creatures. The late John Webster said that if one had to choose a single theme that runs through the Bible, it might well be the theme of life. Although often life appears sub contrario, under its opposite, the experience of death and judgment. The apocalypse is one long demonstration of this truth, that God is the God of life who wills life and shares life with his creatures. So as we hear the book and let its visions wash over us, we are caught up in the reality of the God of life, named triply as the one who was and who is and who is to come, as Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, and as the seven spirits before the divine throne, a liturgical and doxological way of saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who is none other than the Lord God of Israel. As we read Revelation over the next few weeks, never forget that you are reading a Jewish book, although a Judaism that, like Paul's, has been seized by the Revelation and authority of Jesus Messiah. What is Revelation again? It is not only an apocalypse, but a prophecy.
uttered in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The prophet is commissioned to speak the word of the Lord to the Lord's people in some particular historical moment, usually when the fate of the covenant hangs in the balance. The Lord is faithful to his covenant, ever faithful. But will Israel be? That is the question. Or in the case of the apocalypse, will the church and the churches be? As usual, the Lord's word is hard to hear, but it is a word that we cannot live without, for it is life and health and salvation for us. In his great difficult book, The Identity of Jesus Christ, theologian Hans Frey speaks of the Christian as one whose pattern of life has seemingly suffered an inexplicably wounding and healing invasion, an invasion by the grace of God. Fry was writing here mostly about the individual experience of grace, but his words apply, I think, on a broader scale. We, the church, Israel, are those who live by the wounding and healing invasion, invasion of the word of God. And that is why we cling to the words of this prophecy. It is why the apocalypse is so indispensable. What is Revelation? One last time. What we call the book of Revelation is in fact a letter. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from the one who is and who was and who is to come. That Revelation is a letter, besides being an apocalypse and a prophecy, might not seem obvious amid all the apocalyptic fireworks. And certainly John's epistle is very different from those of St. Paul. Although you might want to read Revelation side by side with Romans 8. Still, John the seer shares his visions with the Christian assemblies in seven cities of Asia, Asia Minor, John is joined to his churches in a relation of profound solidarity. I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecutions, the flipses, the tribulations, and the kingdom, and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It is this solidarity in suffering that lends credibility to John's testimony. The apocalypse is played out on a historical, a political, even a cosmic scale. But it is also quite local and particular, lived out in the daily lives of those baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. The Lord apocalypses himself in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum in the shadow of empire and the reality of persecution. And he apocalypses himself into our lives in Toronto in these strange, strange late modern times of ours, a post-Christendom that is not unlike the pre-Christendom of John and his churches. Strange times, and yet the Lord's times, as the risen Jesus shows himself among us. We are the ones who suffer his wounding and healing invasion. We are the recipients of his gift 
and his grace. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Amen.